Church, today we continue our seven-part sermon series entitled, I Am. I want to speak to you today about being a light during dark times. Being a light during dark times. I ask for you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to John, chapter 8. I want to read one verse in your hearing, verse 12. And once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 8, allow me to read verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. The imagery of light is prevalent and prominent all throughout the Bible. In God's created order, he tells us in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, let there be light. And light came running at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. It was David who said in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? 700 years before the coming of Christ, it is the prophet Isaiah who said that those groping in darkness have seen a great light. The apostle Peter says in his first epistle that God has called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. John records for us in 1 John that in God he is light and in him there is no darkness. Revelation 21 tells us that in the New Jerusalem, there is no need for a sun in the sky because the glory of God lights up the heavens. It is John who tells us in Revelation 21 that the Lord is our lamp. From Genesis to Revelation, light is prominent and prevalent. What's true in the Bible is specifically true in the gospel according to John. In John's gospel, there is a constant conversation between light and darkness, good and evil, those of salvation and those of condemnation. So in the prologue of John's gospel, he says of the word that the word is life and his life is the light of men. It is Jesus who says in John chapter 3, after the conversation with Nicodemus, here is the verdict. The light has come. But men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. In our passage, Jesus just simply and emphatically declares, I am the light of the world. This is the second of seven I am statements in John's gospel. Uh, earlier, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In our passage, I am the light of the world. He will later say, I am the gate I am the good shepherd. I am resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. On seven occasions, Jesus makes messianic metaphors where he lays claim to his divinity. Here, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In order for us to appreciate this statement, we've got to know something about the historical context in which Jesus says this phrase. The origin of our passage finds its beginning at the very start of John chapter 7. It's there that we read 
that it is the Feast of Tabernacles. The brothers of Jesus told him he needed to go to Jerusalem for this high festival, but Jesus waited. It's not until verse 14 that he finally goes halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles. He goes to the temple and he begins to teach. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the high holy days on the Jewish calendar. Every calendar has specific holidays. The Christian calendar has a couple of events that are very significant to us. First is Christmas, the second is Easter. Christmas reminds us of the birth of Jesus. Easter reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. We could not fathom a year without Christmas and Easter. In a similar way, in the Jewish calendar, there are at least three festivals. These festivals or holidays are known as the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All three of these were observed at the same time of each given year. All three of them celebrated God for a particular activity in history. The Passover was always remembered in the spring of the year. It is there where God's people would gather for the feast of Passover to recall how God had triumphantly and powerfully led the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. God was always remembered as the great redeemer of Passover. The feast of Pentecost took place about 50 days after Passover. Penta means 50, so 50 days after Passover was sometime in the summer. It was usually around the, the first fruits, the first gathering of the crops. And during this celebration, God's people recalled how God gave his word to his people on Mount Sinai. That's a significant event because God said to his people, this is who I am, this is what I expect. I am bound by my word. I will always be who I tell you I am and I will always expect of you what my word describes as your response. And so God's word was given on Mount Sinai and during Pentecost, God was worshiped and remembered as the lawgiver. But in our festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, that always took place in the fall of the year, after the final harvest had been brought into the barns. And then God's people remembered and recalled how God had provided for their ancestors during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. God always provided faithfully in good times and bad times, at day and night. It was the Lord who gave manna in the morning and quail in the evening. It was God who led his children as a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God never orphaned his people. He never abandoned his people, even while they were groping in the, their wanderous wilder, uh, wilder, uh, wanderings. And God was one who was so faithful to his people that every, every time they gathered for tabernacle, they always remembered that God is the great provider. In our passage, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the time when everybody converged on the holy city of Jerusalem. Josephus said that of all of the Hebrew festivals, there is no one that is greater than the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the highest, it is the holiest, probably because Israel was an agrarian society. And 
it's in the fall of the year when these Hebrew farmers had some time on their hands and some financial resources to make a spiritual pilgrimage to the capital city. And so because of that, it, was, it caused many people to come and, and stuff the streets of Jerusalem. On the first day, people would gather branches because they would construct a hut or a shelter, a tabernacle. It's in that tabernacle that they would dwell for up to seven days. Every day, they would go to the temple and worship the Lord. Every evening, they would sing and dance. The tradition said that men of piety were to sing and dance with lit torches raised in their hands. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the rabbis and the priests would light candelabras, menorahs, large candles all throughout the temple complex so that way into the wee hours of the morning, the light of the temple would cascade down and the glow could be felt in every street of Jerusalem. Now keep in mind that this is before electricity. It wasn't a normal occurrence to see the temple lit up at night. This was abnormal. This was only done about one week of the year. It's here at the Feast of Tabernacles that every night the temple was aglow with the lights and men and women were dancing and celebrating. It was, it was kind of like a sanctified spring break trip. It was a majestic Mardi Gras. I mean, everybody got excited. They were partying. They were celebrating because they knew God had never abandoned them. God had never orphaned them. And God had always been with his people and if God was with his people in the past God would certainly be with his people in these days every morning every noonday every nighttime there was a candle that was lit numerous candles that were lit it is this visual backdrop that Jesus sees and he says to those listening to him I am the light of the world I am that's God's vocabulary. That's divine rhetoric. Jesus is using the language that God spoke in Exodus chapter 3 when he addressed that seasoned shepherd named Moses through a burning bush that was on fire but not being consumed. And when Moses asked, what is your name? It is the Lord who said, I am. This is God's language. It's God's name. It's, it's his character. When Jesus says, I am, He's not declaring to be another God or a lesser God or merely something like God. He is saying, I am God. Jesus says, I am the light. Not just a light. Not just one of many lights. But Jesus is telling the crowd, I am the exclusive light. I'm the only one that can dispel darkness. I'm the only one that can accurately illuminate the path. I'm the only one that can guide you into the promised land. I am the light of the world. Not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles too. Of the entire world. This is fulfillment of what Isaiah foretold in Isaiah chapter 49 when he is describing the servant of the Lord. The Sermon of the Lord is described in Isaiah 49, verse 6. It is too small a thing, God says, for my servant just to restore the tribes of Jacob. No, I will give 
my light to the Gentiles and my servant will accomplish my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is telling the crowd, look, these lights flicker, but I am forever. These lights fade, but I am faithful. These lights are extinguished, but I am eternal. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Whoever follows me, I will guide into glory. Whoever follows me, I will escort into eternity. Whoever follows me, I will dispel the darkness of sin in their life. Whoever follows me, I will illuminate their path. And as you worship God, who provided in the good times and the bad, Jesus is telling the crowd, I am the light of the world. I'll be with you in times of darkness and tragedy and yes, even sickness. I am the light of the world. What's so amazing is that this is the only metaphor that Jesus shares with his followers. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's the only metaphor that Jesus shares with us. Jesus said earlier, I am the bread of life. Nowhere does he say, you are the bread of life. Jesus says, I am resurrection and life, but nowhere does he say, you are resurrection and life. Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but nowhere does he say, you are the way, the truth, and the life. But in our passage, he says, I am the light of the world, and in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. So there's something about the fact that Jesus is our light. And because he illuminates the darkness in our life, because he provides for us and guides us, because he is our light, somehow, some way, we are to be lights with a little L into a very dark world. As he is the light, so we are to be lights. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Glorify your Father in heaven. Let other people see the light of your life and may they know that it comes from God. And may they glorify God by what you do and how you live even in very dark times. So my question this morning is, how can we be light in the midst of darkness? How can we shed the light of Christ in a very chaotic pandemic? Allow me to offer four suggestions for you this morning. The first one, let our light shine by our faith in God. Let other people see the faith that we have in our great God. You do realize that COVID-19 is not the first pandemic to ever strike this globe. No, all we have to do is look back in the history books and we read about the bubonic plague, otherwise known as the Black Plague, that swept across the, the then known world in the 14th century. We can also remember the smallpox of the 19th century. We also can read about in the 20th century the Spanish flu of 1918, 
the Asian flu, the Hong Kong flu, the swine flu, all types of flus all throughout the 20th century. We also can read about the pandemic of AIDS that reached its peak from 2005 to 2012. In all of these pandemics that I mentioned for you, and those are just a handful of all of them that have occurred over the last 2,000 years, but in each and every one, more than a million people every time have been affected by it and killed by it. But you know what one constant is in all those pandemics? The church. The church has survived every single pandemic. And guess what? I just got a holy hunch that the church is going to survive this pandemic. That what we're experiencing now, it will not do us in. For the church will march on. We'll be stronger on the other side of this than what we feel like in the midst of it. And so let a very dark world see the light of Christ being illuminated in us by our faith in God. For we know that though the mountains quake, and though uh, the nations are in uproar, we know that our God is victorious. We know that our faith in him is strong. Our faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. It's in the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, and I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. Let a dark watching world see the light of our faith in God being illuminated from our very lives. We do not respond in fear, we respond in faith. So let the world see our faith in God. Secondly, let our light so shine that the world sees our love for each other. Wouldn't it be great for the world to look for our world to be able to see First Baptist Church Pelham and see us as a faith family and we genuinely love one another through this time? I've mentioned before, we've got to stay connected in the best way possible. In this virtual world, we've got to stay connected. And so as I mentioned in the announcements, I'll mention right now, I am so excited that our deacons are going to be virtually visiting on Monday nights and that our choir is going to be virtually having choir practice on Tuesday nights at 6.30. And our students are going to have a live stream worship service on Wednesdays at 6.30. And our children are going to have ministry, uh, a virtual experience for them with Pastor Jonathan uh, at 6 o'clock at 8.30 on Thursday nights. And every week, live streaming this worship service at 1045, throughout the week, getting various videos and words of encouragement from pastors and small groups that are connecting. I thank you, Sunday school teachers. I thank you, D group leaders, for reaching out to your class, reaching out uh, to those that you're sharing life and sharing faith with. I praise God that we had a virtual social experience last night with one of our Sunday school classes. To God be the glory. Let the world see that we genuinely love each other, that we're doing our very best to stay connected during this time. And as needs arise, please let me know.
Let me know what they are. Let me know how we can come alongside and help and minister in this time. Maybe it's uh, somebody who just is, is a little fearful of getting out to go to the grocery store or get the medication at the pharmacy. Please, let us know. Let us come alongside and help. Um, tell me, tell one of the pastors, tell one of our faithful deacons here at the church. Let us know how we can serve you so that the world will see our genuine love that we have one for the other. During this time, let the watching world take note of our faith in God and our love for one another. Third, let our light so shine by our dependency upon the Lord. Historically, during times like this, the church has demonstrated prayer and fasting to communicate dependency upon Christ. Prayer and fasting is it's a discipline that has become a, a little out of vogue in the American church. Yet it's a good discipline for you and I to do today. Historically, whenever God's people needed God to show up and show off, they would fast and they would pray. They would pray and they would fast. Let me encourage you to choose a specific time in the day when you're going to pray. Pray for those that are making decisions that literally are affecting millions of people. Pray for wisdom and discernment. Pray for physicians, for doctors, for caregivers. Pray for those who are sick, whether it's with the coronavirus or something else. Pray for the church, that we may thrive and be dependent upon the Lord. Choose a time every day just to get alone in personal prayer. I would also encourage you to choose a time to fast. Um, you can choose a particular day of the week, a particular time of that day of the week. Uh, maybe you think to yourself, Pastor, I ain't never fasted before. Well, maybe now's a great time. And let's just start just with a meal or maybe two meals or maybe a day. And during that time when you would eat, just pray. Just spend that time in prayers, seeking God's face, being dependent upon him. Let me also add this. Whenever you decide to fast, don't post that. Don't advertise that. Because the Bible's pretty clear that we need to kind of do that in our closets. So let's just get along with the Lord and let's just fast and pray. And by our actions, we are showing Christ how dependent we are upon him. And when we are dependent upon him, it is obvious to a watching world. So let our light shine, not only in our faith, not only in our love for one another, but also in our dependency through prayer and fasting. Let me offer a fourth suggestion. Let our light so shine by our ministry to our community. You know, it was just two weeks ago that we took 100 missionaries to Selma. Friends, I gotta be honest, that seems like eons ago. I mean, that seems like ancient history. The last two weeks, I don't know about you, but in my world, I mean, everything is just a snail's pace now. But it was two weeks ago that we took 100 missionaries to Selma. Why? To share food and to share the gospel. As a staff, we have met as a leadership team and as deacons, we met this last Monday night. And the idea began to percolate. 
what if we did something like that here for our community in the greater Birmingham area? I realize that uh, this pandemic is fluid. It's constantly changing. Who can predict with any level of accuracy what's going to come down the pike this upcoming week or next week? But still, we plan and we strive to minister to our community. And so, tentatively, what we want to say is that on Easter Saturday, which is April the 11th, we are doing our best to put into, into formation and practice a ministry opportunity for our community where maybe people at that time will, will need uh, some food to eat and they can drive up, never getting out of their car. And there could be people here that put those boxes together and put them in the car. And, and then, then the thought came to me that if we can have a drive-through where people can be tested for the coronavirus and be swabbed, maybe people before they left the premises could drive through and have prayer and just have somebody praying over them, their car, their family, their life. Maybe, the, maybe what the world just needs to see is the church being there to minister, to serve. Now, once again, I realize all that idea is fluid. It could change umpteen times before anything takes place. I get that. I understand. But the principle is still true. Let the world see that the church longs to minister to the community. You remember that little song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. What I'm saying, I think, is what Jesus would say. He is saying, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. As I dispel darkness, so you dispel darkness. Let other people follow us as we follow Christ. When I think about the darkest day in human history, that darkest day is not today. The darkest day in human history is not a day that's going to happen sometime in the near future. No, the darkest day in human history took place about 2,000 years ago. In the third decade of the first century, it is Jesus the God-man, Jesus the I Am, who took upon himself your sin and mine. He stumbled through the streets of Jerusalem with a cross on his back. He made his way up a skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. And there they stretched him wide. They raised him high. They nailed him to a tree. It is Dr. Luke who tells us that on that day there was darkness that covered the land. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness that could be felt, darkness that was eerie, darkness covered the land. And Jesus, in the midst of that spiritual darkness, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is Jesus who said, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was Jesus, the great I am, who bowed his head gave up the ghost, and said to Telestai, it is finished. The one who spoke and the world came into existence was now silenced. 
the one who gave life, was now dead. And Jesus hung on the cross. They took his dead, lifeless body off the cross, placed him into a borrowed tomb. And for the rest of Friday, all the disciples could feel was spiritual darkness. When they woke up the next morning, early on Saturday, all they could experience was spiritual darkness. Saturday morning gave way to Saturday evening, and all they could feel, all they could experience was spiritual darkness. But early on Sunday morning, I I said early on Sunday morning, that the light of life rose from the darkness of death. And Jesus got up out of the grave. The dead body began to breathe again. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and he talks to me a long life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to impart you ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart the I am is alive today the I am is present today the I am who is the light of the world escorts you into eternity he has come to dispel darkness in your life Jesus said I am the light of the world and you are the light of the world to God be the glory this day this light has come to dispel darkness illuminate the path and guide you into his glory so let your life be marked by faith in God let it be marked by love to one another Let it be marked by dependency in prayer and fasting. And let your life be marked by a ministry to a community that is hurting. I don't know about you, but I'm just glad that I've seen the light. I'm glad that God has opened up my blind eyes. I'm glad that God has just awakened inside of me a hunger and a desire to follow him. And friend, maybe throughout these last few moments, God has done that to you by his spirit's power. Today can be the day of your salvation. The Bible's very clear that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you can be saved today. Right there um, in your family room, right there as you are looking at a device and watching what's going on, right now you can pray And acknowledge that you have the dingy darkness of sin in your life. And you need the light of Christ to come in, to wash you clean, to lead your life. Today can be the day of your salvation. If you make a decision today, will you please let me know? Please text me. Please email me. Maybe today you are a believer. But these days have gotten you down. And this day you can pray. And you can say, Lord... Please renew my faith, strengthen my resolve, help me to be the light as you are the light. Oh, friend, I'm excited for the days ahead. Yes, you heard me right. I'm excited about the days ahead because our best days are not behind us. Our best days are in front of us. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will never Walk 
in darkness. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have shown us the light of the Lord. And oh, Father, thank you for those who made decisions today. I pray that you will lead and guide us so that we will be a church that makes a difference in these dark times. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen.